So good news, found my phone. And I was so panicking the whole time that it was going to ring while they were doing the music. So it didn't ring, thank goodness. Uh, I have the privilege and the honor of, of introducing George Russ. He's from the Metropolitan New York Baptist Association, and we're partnering with them. Uh, we, we are excited what the Lord is doing in our church and just moving ahead. Um, you know, really, to me, if we have three people here, we have 500, as long as we love the Lord and honoring him, um, that's what the Lord wants. And George, uh, please come up because we, we, we can't wait to hear what you have to say. But uh, as we move ahead, uh, we're partnering with George and his organization to uh, revitalize New Village Church. So thank you. Thank you, Mark. Let me make sure I'm all, I'm all teed up here. How's that? Is that right? Uh, good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege to be with you uh, today. Thanks for the invitation uh, to share uh, God's Word with you. Uh, it's, uh, it's a joy to work with congregations in our metropolitan region. That's what we do with our association called MNYBA, Metropolitan New York Baptist Association. We have about 250 churches in our association. Uh, over 40 of them are Spanish-speaking. Uh, about 28, 29 of them are French Creole speaking. They're from people from Haiti and various other languages, Korean, Chinese, uh, Russian, South Asian. It's a great joy to be a part of the diverse body uh, of Christ in our region to see how uh, God is working through them. Just a little bit about myself. I live in Kings Park, so I'm not too far away. Been in the same house for about, well, this will be 40 years now. My wife and I have three kids. I say kids, they're all adults. They all have their own families of three children each. So we have nine uh, grandchildren, and they, uh, the three children live in three different states. So three kids with three grandkids each in three states. Uh, I guess you can sense that Trinitarian pattern uh, for us, and it's real, a real joy to be, uh, uh, to be uh, grandparents. Just that one of our grandparent, uh, grandkids' uh, 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 judo matches last uh, yesterday over in Islip. So great to be with you and great to uh, share this time with you. Well, I want us to look at Mark chapter 4. Quite a familiar passage to each of us. Uh, if you've read your Bible through, you've read this story many, many times. You know, I don't know if you noticed this, but I think we're, we're pretty much obsessed with uh, predicting the weather. We have uh, whole channels dedicated uh, uh, with sophisticated radar systems to give us minute-by-minute minute updates on the latest weather patterns across our country. Uh, we want to try to prevent any kind of damage that uh, storms create, but every once in a while there is a bomb cycle that comes unexpectedly and we can be caught off guard by the suddenness and the severity of storms. And in these storms, they have a way of revealing to us some things that are there we may not have realized before. For example, a crack in the foundation of a house, uh, a shallow root system of a once majestic tree, an ill-prepared electric grid, a levee system in New Orleans that is not able to handle uh, a hurricane. Uh, so whether it's a literal storm like Hurricane Katrina 
or one like COVID-19 or personal ones. Sometimes storms reveal things about ourselves and our relationship to God. That's what I want to look at in this storm. So Mark chapter 4 is an account of Jesus' instructions to his disciples after a very long and tiring day of teaching. He orders them to get into the boat to go across to the, the Sea of Galilee to the other side. But once out on the lake, a sudden storm arose. The word that Mark uses to describe this storm, I think in the version you read, was furious. But the word there is the word mega. Mega storm. What do you think is involved in a mega storm? Wind that is howling and waves that are splashing against the boat, lightning that is flashing. Mark literally says that the waves were beating the side of the boat the way a heavyweight boxer would beat an opponent. Now the Sea of Galilee was famous for these kinds of storms. The sea itself is 700 feet below sea level. It is surrounded on three sides by mountains. And in some of these mountains, there are small little clefts or opening. And those clefts functioned as a funnel so that wind coming through those clefts almost without notice would meet the, uh, the, the air above the sea. The cold air of the wind meeting the warm air of the sea created these uh, sudden, violent, storms and in this particular case the disciples many of whom were seasoned sailors they believe they are about to die so this is one horrific mega storm when they realized they could not bail water fast enough to prevent them from drowning uh, they wake up jesus in the back of the boat it's quite surprising that he is asleep but Mark says that once they re uh, nestled or nudged him, it says that Jesus arose. That's the word that Mark uses. He will use this same word later on to describe what happened on the first Easter morning. Jesus arose. So you could say that when the megastorm arose, Jesus arose and it meant the end of the megastorm. Jesus rebukes the storm. In the version read, the New American Standard, it is the, the words, hush. You could say that Jesus says, quiet. Be still. Sounds so pious. But you know what he, he literally says? Shut up. Sit down and stay silent. There's no rolling up of the sleeves, no grandstanding. Jesus simply lifts his pinky finger and he stills the storm. This is nothing for Jesus to say shut up to a hurricane and it quiets down. It says in the text that the winds quieted, the waves sat down, and there was a perfect calm in the version that you read. 
That word perfect is actually the word mega. Mega storm followed by a mega calm. Are you following this? The sea is as smooth as glass. You can now see your face in it. Now, to say shut up to the wind and the wind quiets down might be a coincidence, but what happens here goes way beyond that. Jesus says uh, shut up and sit down to the wind, and it says instantly the sea calmed down. We all know that once a storm comes through, even though uh, it is quiet after that, the seas can be turbulent for many days afterwards. High seas can continue, uh, even though there's no more wind, but not here. Instantly, the sea becomes as smooth as glass, a mega calm, perfectly calm. And to biblical people, the wind and the seas represent something more than just water and air. To them, this was the symbol of great uncontrollability, of the fury and the chaos of life and the impotence of human beings to do anything about it. And they learned verses in the Psalms that say something like this, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 89. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Psalm 29. See, the sea represents how unpredictable life is. How suddenly you can be thrown into chaos uh, that only God has the power to control. And the reason why he's the only one able to control the seas is because he's the one who sits above the seas. So Jesus here is displaying divine power. He doesn't call on a higher power. He is the higher power. Sit down and shut up to a hurricane and the wind and waves immediately obey. It is a manifestation or a revelation of divine power, and the disciples knew it. They looked at the calm sea, they looked at Jesus, and then they looked at one another, and Mark says they feared a great fear in the King James. That word great fear is the word mega once again. A mega storm followed by a mega calm that resulted in a mega fear. They start to whisper to each other, who, 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 is, who is this man? Where does he come from? How can he command nature? What, what kind of man is this that the wind listens to him and the seas obey him? We've never heard of this before. We thought he was a rabbi, a teacher, but he must be more than that. That's the story. Now to follow through the story, I want us to look at the questions that are raised by the author or by, raised in the story itself. The first question may reveal what we really think about Jesus. The disciples question Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Lord, 
Don't you care? Is this a familiar question to you? It is to me. Lord, we, we thought that if you were with us, these things wouldn't happen. We thought that if we obeyed your word, and we did, you told, you're the one who told us to get into, in the boat, to go over to the other side. We thought that if you said, let's go over, we would never go under. We thought that if you were in the boat with us, we would not sink. Oh, we knew that maybe getting associated with you might have a little problems, but not this. This is life-threatening. This is life and death. The disciples are saying a question that I'm sure you have said on your pillow at night. Lord, if you cared, this wouldn't happen. Maybe it means that you don't care. So not only are they thinking, why are we sinking? They're also saying, Lord, why are you asleep? We're sinking, you're sleeping. We're sinking, and you're silent. We're sinking, and it looks like you don't have a care in the world. We're perishing, and you're asleep. This can't be. If you cared, you would stop this. If you don't stop this, maybe you don't care. Now, if you're trying to live a life of faith, I, I would suspect that you may have felt this at times. You feel like you're sinking. Everything's going wrong. It's chaos. It's unpredictable. I can't do anything about it. And God doesn't seem to be aware of what's happening. You think, God, have you gone to sleep on me in my hour of greatest need? Are you asleep when I need you the most? Maybe you haven't said that question out loud. But you've probably said it in your heart. These storms have a way of revealing what we understand about Jesus. Maybe we just think he's there to help us get out of tight situations. He's our insurance policy. Right? He's here to help us avoid or relieve us of our danger. So Jesus' inaction, his apparent failure to recognize their danger, his undisturbed calm, the total silence from him is beyond their understanding. It leads them to doubt both his concern and his capability of doing anything about it. That's the first question. Storms have a way of revealing to us what we really think about Jesus. But look at the second question. It is the question Jesus puts to the disciples in response it's actually two questions why are you so afraid and do you still have no faith mark tells us that jesus rebukes the wind it's the same word that he uses to describe how jesus speaks to demons he rebukes the wind and the waves but then he turns to the disciples and he actually rebukes them. He asks them these withering questions. He turns to them with a stern, serious, severe rebuke. Do you not yet have any faith? 
Why are you so afraid? How is it that you still don't trust me? Has the secret of my identity and my authority still not dawned on you? Are you following the story? Now these questions ought to scare us a little bit. Normally Jesus is so patient and so tender with people. He's sympathetic with a woman at the well, with a woman caught in adultery, with tax collectors and swindlers. But here, his questions are not sympathetic or tender. Not with that person who says, I'm a follower of Jesus. I should not have any troubles in my life. Jesus is not sympathetic to that at all. Now, by way of illustration, you're a parent. <coughs> if you are a good parent, you go out of your way to show care for your children. You actually deny yourself some things in order to provide for your children. If at one time you refused something for your child, and that child looked up at you and said, you don't care about me. You don't love me. I don't think you'll be very sympathetic to that statement. You won't sit them down and say, oh, I understand why you're so upset. No. You'll sit them down and you will say, I have joyfully disrupted my life for you. I have given you all sorts of things. I have gladly sacrificed for myself in order for you to have what you have. For you to look at this one thing and to look up at me and say that I am acting not out of love means you don't understand anything I've ever done for you. Amen? Yeah. You see, it is easy to trust a God who always works by miracles. It is easy to put your faith in Christ when God wonderfully and predictably intervenes on your time schedule. If He were to work that way all the time in our churches, our churches would be full, but for the wrong reasons. The problem comes when heaven seems silent. When the storm, winds, and rain threaten to overwhelm us, when Jesus apparently is off doing something else, when heaven's doors are like brass, when your prayers bounce off the ceiling and fall back into your lap unanswered, it's then and only then do we really know if we, whether or not we trust the Lord. And I, standing above you a few feet, I, I, want, I want to let you know, I am not above contradiction here trying to teach you these things. I might leave you with the impression this is all very elementary and I pass these tests just fine. But I have to <laughs> confess that sometimes when I face these exams, I don't always have a passing grade. 35 years, 40 years of ministry, I've been privileged to experience many wonderful answers to prayer, many deliverances. I've seen God intervene in ways that cannot be denied. And my faith never wobbled during those times. It's easy to give a testimony 
and to publish it and to trumpet it out to friends. But I have also seen times when trials mount up and testings come and storms roll over people's lives and slam into their ship with such pressure that the boat threatens to disintegrate. And I've seen people cry out to God and speaking for myself, you know, I would never say that about myself. Yeah, oh yeah, Lord, don't you care? Oh yeah. Mark is teaching us something. That the omnipotent Lord is always with his people. Often that omnipotence is hidden. He is writing, remember, to believers after the resurrection when Jesus is not physically present with his people. And there were times, I'm sure, in their lives after the resurrection and ascension that they were wondering out, does he really care about us? Where is he? There's many times when he shows no apparent response. But that's precisely when we're called to trust him. There was a girl late years ago named Charlotte. They called her Carefree Charlotte. For 30 years, she was the most cheerful person you could ever know. She made a living as a comedy writer, actually. But after her 30th birthday, all of that changed. She did not know it at the time, but she would spend the rest of her life, 50 years, in bed. The doctors did not know what was wrong with her. Every hour was filled with pain. She was overpowered by weakness. She did not live one day without exhaustion. And she just turned her heart away from God and cursed him for making her a prisoner to her own bed. One day, her father invited the pastor to the house, as pastors are often called, to do something. (laughs) And the pastor talked with Charlotte about peace and joy. And when she could not take it any longer, she exploded in anger. She lashed out at the pastor, at her family and God. But the pastor wasn't deterred. He said, Charlotte, Haven't you become tired of holding on to yourself, holding on to anger and hatred? And she was broken by those words. She begged to know the kind of peace that the pastor spoke about. And he smiled and said to her, Come as you are to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Bring your fears, your hatred, your temper, your pride, and he will replace it with his love and peace. And that was the day that Charlotte went from despair to faith. She never recovered her health. But she was transformed. And she praised her creator in spite of her unrelieved suffering. And she began to write hymns about the love she had come to know in Jesus. She wrote over 150 of them which were later published. It was called the Invalid's Hymn Book. One hymn stands out. It really is her spiritual biography. The song would become the theme of the most well-known evangelist in history, calling millions of people to faith in Jesus Christ. It is a declaration of the confidence that we know in the midst of doubt It is the hymn, Just As I Am. 
without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. The third question in the text actually reveals the identity, the true identity of Jesus. After Jesus rebukes the, the wind and the disciples with his questions, they begin to look at one another and they ask, Who is this? Did you notice that before Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are scared? So scared. Before he calms the storm, they are scared. After he calms the storm, they're even more scared. It says they were terrified. In the King James Version of the Bible, it says they feared exceedingly. <laughs> That's not really even what it says. It says they feared with a great fear. A megaphobia. A mega storm. A mega calm. A mega phobia they are terrified in other words they went from bad to worse <laughs> they went from being scared to being terrified they were scared before he saved them but terrified after he saved them they were scared when they were in danger but they were even more scared when they were safe how does that work the disciples look at each other and they say who is this <clears throat> what kind of man what manner of man is this they're really saying what country does he come from <laughs> now you get a sense of where they are in this the bible begins with an account of creation and when god creates man male and female he gives them a Authority over the birds of the air. Remember that in the book of Genesis? He gives them authority over the birds of the air, but not authority over the air. He also gives man authority over the fish in the sea, but he does not give them authority over the sea. Are you following this? So this man in the boat has authority, that's what they say, has authority over the wind and the waves, over the air and the sea. When he speaks, the air shuts up. The sea sits down. What kind of man is this? Where does he come from? The disciples ask. The disciples begin to sense that Jesus is more than a mere man. They are terrified because they realize they are in the presence of a person from another world. They are in the presence of a power greater than the sea. They are in the presence of the holy. And throughout the scriptures, when people sense that presence, they usually hit the deck. When the glory of the Lord is revealed in the fury of the wind, <laughs> just as Moses knelt down when the glory of the Lord shone through that 
fiery bush. Their knees are knocking with a holy awe. They are scared because Jesus is just as unmanageable as the storm itself. They can't control Him, but they begin to realize that this Divine One loves them. Sometimes things happen that we do not understand. He does not do things according to what makes sense all of the time. But Jesus' unmanageable power is filled with incredible love for you. And Jesus says, if you knew how I loved you, you can be calm during whatever storm you're in. He calms the storm. He saves the disciples. And one day He will calm all storms and still all waves. As a matter of fact, the Bible says He will destroy destruction. He's going to break brokenness. He's going to kill death. All the storms will be gone. That is the kingdom of God. And how can He do it? Here's how. On the cross, He actually entered the ultimate storm. He was thrown into the storm. The collision between the cold air of our rebellion meeting the hot air of His justice and love and Jesus Christ thrown into the only storm that can ultimately sink you. And what can sink you is what you owe because of your, because of your wrongdoing. Jesus Christ turns his face right into the storm of eternal justice, goes right into it for your sake and mine. He bows his head in death. He does not flinch. He pays for our sins on the cross. And when you see him bowing his head in the ultimate storm, it means that he cares for you, and you will never have to ask him, Lord, don't you care? If he did not abandon you in the ultimate storm, he will never leave you in the lesser ones that you go through right now. You know, at the end of Mark's story, if you read the rest of the Gospel, Jesus faces his, this storm, His arrest, His mock trial, and His crucifixion. Did you notice this? He asks three of His closest disciples to come with him into the garden where he would pray. You remember this? It's as if he is saying to them, Peter, James, and John, I need you. I want you to be with me. I'm going right over here to pray. And when he comes back, what does he find? The disciples are asleep. <laughs> Can't you be with me for just one hour? The hour of my greatest need? He tries again. What happens? Same result. He finds them asleep. Not only a second time, but a third time. Haven't we done that? Gone asleep? That didn't stop him from going to the cross and 
when you know that he did that for you, when you trust that his death was for you, you know the true identity of Jesus and the mega calm that he gives even in the storm. When you read the following chapters and the rest of the book of Mark, he follows this very story with three more stories of people whose lives were in turmoil. He meets a man who lives in a graveyard, who hates himself, who cuts himself, who is divided in his mind, who is uncontrollable, and he gives him a sound mind. He meets the synagogue president whose daughter is dying, and he gives him peace, and he raises that 12-year-old girl back to life. He meets a woman who has an incurable bleeding condition for 12 years. Incidentally, she's, a, she's had that condition for as long as Jairus' daughter is alive. And he gives her peace and deliverance and a life of following him. It's as if Mark is saying, it don't matter what storm you face. He is there with you. He may not always remove all the chaos, but he is the Lord over every storm that you go through. He's with you, and you can trust Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we wonder at times, who are you? What kind of man are you? Where do you come from? What kind of Savior are you? Thank you, Lord, that the things that you do and who you are is not determined by our understanding of who you are. You love us in spite of those doubtful times. You act on our behalf because of your grace. Because of your tenderness. And even though we may be sleeping on you at times, you remain with us. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to walk with you through every chaotic, unpredictable, uncontrollable situation that life throws at us. Thank you. You are with us. You are Lord. We love you and trust you. In your name we pray.